We're so glad that you are checking out this sermon from New Beginnings. Our vision as a church is to become an authentic biblical community that transforms our city and impacts the world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do this through gathering in worship, growing through community, giving to the kingdom, and going on mission. We know that one of the greatest blessings of the church is getting to pursue this vision that God has given us together. My hope is that we would get the opportunity to connect with you in person and get you plugged into the life of our church. Also, if you have been blessed by the ministries of New Beginnings, we ask that you would consider supporting us financially. You can do so by clicking on the giving tab of our website, nvbctx.org. I pray that you are both encouraged and challenged by the scripture today. We're going to jump into a series this morning that we've been in for the last three weeks. This series is a call to die. And we're talking about, over the last few weeks, about what it means to, to follow after Jesus, what it means to, to be a disciple of Jesus. You can see that it's a, a reckless abandon. It's a radical surrender. And I want to remind you of where we've been over the last three weeks before we jump in this morning. But week one, we talked about the cost of being a disciple. We talked about what a high cost that is, that Jesus tells us that anyone who would come after me must what? Must die to himself and take up his cross and follow me. And then the next week we talked about the call of a disciple, that it's a, it's a great call that we have to, to be willing to answer. And, and so we, we learned that those two weeks, those things were very heavy, that they were very weighty. And we walked away, if you like me, you walked away going, man, how am I ever going to do those things? How can I really be the disciple that Jesus has called me to be? And then last week on Labor Day, if you were here on the Gilmer campus or in Spring Hill, you heard from Pastor Todd and you heard from Pastor Matt, and they talked about this need to rest. It was very fitting for it being Labor Day weekend where we get to literally take a day of rest from our labor. But he said it's not, this call of a disciple is not to rest from our labor, but it's to rest in Jesus knowing that He is the one who has carried the weight for us, that He is the one who has carried our burdens for us. And He says, come and take on my yoke. My yoke is not heavy and burdensome. My yoke is light and easy. And He says that Jesus is the one that's carrying the weight of all of our burdens and all of our struggles, and that we are supposed to get next to Him, line ourselves up with Him, and learn to follow the ways of the rabbi, learn His ways, for His ways are light and easy. They're not burdensome and overbearing. And so our desire was that we would come to know him and line our lives up with him and walk beside him and find that rhythm as we walk and follow after Jesus and just live the life that he is called to live, that our lives would start to look a lot more like his. I love that song that we just sang because it talks about that I need more of you, right, and less of me. And that is my prayer, that is my heart's desire for each and every one of you this morning, is that like John the Baptist said, that he must become greater and I must become less. God, I want more of you and less of me. I want to be more like you. I want to follow after you. I want to be the disciple that you have called and created me to be. And so this morning we're going to continue in our study of what that call looks like. We're going to dive into the Word in a few minutes and we're going to find out what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you again for the worship that we have already experienced 
this morning and the 8 o'clock and the 9.30 and then even now, God, thank you for uh, the words to those songs that we just sang. God, I pray that right now in this moment our hearts would be inclined towards you and that we would fix our eyes on you, Lord, that you would become greater and that we would become less, that we would have more of you and less of us. And God, that you would be honored in this place today. God, I pray that you would give us eyes to see, ears to hear, and hearts that understand and fall more in love with you. God, help us to see what it really means to follow you and then actually do it. In Jesus' name, amen. So I was reading a story the other day about this businessman who was getting ready for a trip. And as he was going about his business with all the hustle and bustle and all the things that you have to do to prepare to go out of town, uh, it reminded me of my situation a few weeks ago. But in this story, this guy was hustling and doing all these different things. He was running 100 miles an hour in 10 different directions. And he got to the very end of the week where he was about to, to board a plane that evening. And he realized that morning, like, oh my gosh, I forgot to get my suit dry cleaned. And so he knew that the dry cleaners close to his house was going to take at least a day or two to get it done. And so he remembered in that moment, there's a dry cleaners across town that the name of that place is One Hour Cleaners. And so he, he said, that's it. That's where I'm going. They can get it done. And so I'm going to rush. He rushed all the way across town. He took his suit to this dry cleaners. He walked in. He filled out the ticket. He gave it to the guy. And he said, hey, I'll be back in like an hour and a half to pick up my suit because I've got to fly out this evening. And the guy said, whoa, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute, time out. Like, it won't be ready in an hour and a half. It'll be ready tomorrow. And he said, what are you talking about? The name on the place is One Hour Cleaners. He said, yeah, but that's just a name. That's just a title. We can't actually do that. <laughs> and as I read that, I thought, how fitting, how, like, how true. That is true for a lot of Christians. And here's what I mean by that. We have this word Christian all over us. Like we have it on our cars, on our as bumper stickers. We have the little ichthus Christian fish. We literally have it tattooed on our bodies, like Philippians, right? I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. We have all these things plastered all over us, this name, this title, this banner of Christian, and it doesn't mean anything at all for some people. It's like the dry cleaners. It says, we, one hour cleaners. Yeah, but we can't actually do that. We don't do that. It's just a name. And I wonder if that's the case for some of us in this place today. Like we come to church, we show up to church, we tell people we're a Christian, just like we tell them we're a Republican or Democrat. It's just another box we check. We say we're something, but it means absolutely nothing. Today we're going to look at a situation, a conversation between Jesus and some religious rulers of his day and age. And in this passage, Jesus is going to help us understand what it means to really be who we claim to be. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 22. Or if you have your devices, go ahead and get there on Matthew chapter 22. We're going to be in Matthew 22, 34. And before, while you're getting, making your way there, I want to give you a little bit of context as to what's going on in this book of Matthew that we're about to read. If you remember, Matthew 22 is the end of Jesus' life. It's the last week. It's Holy Week, Passion Week. He knows that the cross is coming. He knows that this is before him. And in Matthew 22, this is, this is what's going on. It's, it's, it's right at the end of the week that he's going to face his crucifixion. Matthew 21, the chapter right before this, is what's known as the triumphal entry. It's on Sunday. We know it as Palm Sunday. 
It's where Jesus comes riding into town on the donkey, on the colt, and everybody's singing and shouting his praises. They're putting palm branches before him. They're ready to crown him king. They're saying, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Blessed be the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Remember that? They're singing his praises. They're ready to crown him. They're shouting for joy because Jesus is finally here. This is the long-awaited Messiah. That's on Sunday. Monday, Jesus goes into the temple and he sees the money changers exchanging money and, 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 and selling products and goods in the temple. And he turns over the temple tables and he says, you're not going to do that here. My father's house is a house of prayer. That's on Monday. On Tuesday, we find ourselves in Matthew 22. On Tuesday, these religious leaders, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they, they're just, they've had it. They've had it up to here with Jesus. This radical rabbi has come along and he's disrupted their entire way of life. He's disrupted their religion. He's made them uncomfortable. He's got all these people shouting his praises and following him. And they're not living the lives that these, rabbi, these Pharisees and Sadducees want them to live. And so they are going, we'll do everything we can to get rid of this guy. This guy has got to go. We have had it with him. And so in Matthew 22, if you work your way through that chapter, you see the first one, they send this, this Pharisee along, and he tries to question Jesus about the taxes. Should we pay taxes to Rome or not? And he's trying to trick Jesus. He wants Jesus to answer incorrectly so that they can arrest him for insurrection or for going against the Roman Empire, and Jesus doesn't fall for it. And then you continue to make your way through that chapter. And so they send another guy. He doesn't fall for it. And then they send this guy that we see in Matthew 22, starting in verse 34. Let me read that with you. It says this in Matthew 22, verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And he said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love, the na- love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all of the law and the prophets. In Matthew 22 we see these, what I call, deceived experts and cold-hearted scholars. They're trying to trap Jesus in order to have him arrested and eventually killed. These guys, these Pharisees and these Sadducees that we just read about, it says that they had heard that they had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees did, so they came together in order to try to come up with a plan, to orchestrate a plan on how can we get this guy And how can we get rid of him? And here's what's interesting about that, is the Pharisees and the Sadducees despised one another. They were always at odds with one another. They were constantly arguing and debating over who was right and who was wrong and who was more religious and who was better than the other. And in this moment, even though they despised one another, they despised Jesus more. And so they come together and they start to try to orchestrate and put together a plan in order to to do away with this guy that's disrupted their system. And I find it almost comical what they do. 
You see, in this moment, these Pharisees and these Sadducees, they, they failed at all of their attempts to catch Jesus. And so they bring in the expert, as you, if you will, the big guns. They're like, we're going to get the expert in the law, this attorney, this, this big, the big guns. We're going to bring out the biggest and the baddest, the smartest, the most intelligent, the one that's all the way up here. And we're going to bring him. If anyone can take him down, it's going to be this guy. And so they bring out this expert in the law, and this expert in the law comes, and he begins to question Jesus, the lawgiver. Don't you find that funny that this guy shows up all high and mighty, thinking he's really something, thinking he's achieved and accomplished some great things, thinking that he's smarter than anyone else in the room, and he walks up to this rabbi, and he starts to look at him and question him, and what he doesn't realize is this is the one who was there in the beginning. This is the one who spoke all things into being, and you're staring him in the face, asking him what's the most important law, and he's the one that created the law. He's the one that gave this law to Moses. And this guy shows up with all of his pompous attitude and his pride and all of his scholarly religion and all of his his accomplishments. And he looks at Jesus in the eye and he asks him the question, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? This wasn't an uncommon question. This question had been asked for thousands and thousands of years since the law had been given to Moses all the way back in the Old Testament, if you remember that. And in this moment, this guy shows up teacher. We don't know if he's being sarcastic. I kind of read it like that. Or if he's saying it out of respect for a, a rabbi. But he says, teacher, which is the greatest command in the law? He wanted Jesus to say something contrary to what the law was. He wanted Jesus, this new rabbi on the scene, to make up a new rule or a new law that went against their law so that they could get him. They could say, I knew it. You're, you're guilty. You've broken our laws, but Jesus doesn't do it. He doesn't fall for it. In this moment, Jesus looks at this guy and he says, he, he, he says, he shares with him exactly what the law was. In other words, Jesus goes back to the basics. He takes this dude back to school and he gives him the law that this guy would have known since he was in diapers, if you will. You see, Jesus quotes Deuteronomy 6. It's known as the Shema. Everybody say Shema. Uh, you got to say it louder than that. Everybody say Shema. I like to say it just because it's fun, but we say Shema, and I like hearing you say it. But the Shema is this. It, it, it was repeated and recited by young Jewish children from the time that they could talk. It was repeated every morning and every night in every Jewish home, every single day of the week, every week of the month, every month of the year. They knew it inside and out, frontwards and backwards, like the back of their hand. They could quote it in their sleeve. They could say it frontwards and backwards. Anytime you ask them, they knew it. And it was this, Hero Israel, the Lord, the Lord is one. You are to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. That is the great command. And they would say this every morning and every night. And so Jesus looks at this guy and he takes him back to the basics. And in verse 37, he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments, depend all the law and all the prophets. What Jesus does in this moment is He takes all of the things of God, all of the commands of Scripture, and He boils it down to what we call the irreducible minimum. I know that's a big word on a Sunday morning, especially if you haven't had enough coffee. 
But it, I know I'm from West Texas, and out there we like to keep it simple, and I think East Texas is a lot like that as well. So how many of you are like me, and you're like, hey, quick, don't use big words, don't use fancy words, just bottom shelf for me. Like, give it to me plain and simple. Let's boil it all down to what are the basics? What do I need to know to get this done? How many of you are like that? you like, just give it to me bottom shelf. Just give it to me, keep it simple, and let's just move on. Well, that's what Jesus does in this moment. You see, the irreducible minimum is this. It is the most simplistic form of something. It is getting back to the essence, back to the basics of what it means. And so in this moment, Jesus basically looks at this guy and he says, I know you're an expert and I know you think you know everything, but let me just do this. Let me take all of this and just clear all the confusion and all the clutter out of the way. You see, what these religious rulers and what these leaders had done is they had taken the original Ten Commandments of Moses that had been given to Moses by God, and they had taken those Ten Commandments and they said, we need to make more commandments and more rules to try to keep the ten. Crazy, right? They go, I got a great idea. Let's add 613 rules and laws to these ten that will help us try to keep the ten. I mean, we can't keep the ten, but let's add 613 more rules and more laws of do's and don'ts of some are greater like felonies and some are misdemeanors, but we're going to add these to these that will hopefully help us try to keep the original 10. I mean, that's insane, isn't it? If you can't keep 10, why would you add more to it? They just kept adding and adding and adding. And this Jesus basically looks at him in this moment. He says, listen, let's just get back to the basics. You see, what these religious leaders had done is by adding 613 rules and laws to the 10 is they had created this heavy yoke, this heavy burden. You heard about that last week, and it was weighing the people down. It was oppressing the people. The people looked at this situation and go, I can't hardly keep the 10. How in the world am I ever going to do, keep 613? I'm always walking on eggshells. I'm always wondering if I'm doing things right or doing them wrong. Am I going to be in trouble? Am I going to get arrested? Do you see how oppressive that could be? Like they could never be good enough. They could never keep the rules. And so Jesus looks at this guy, and in this moment, he says, let's just take all 613 of those, and let's just clear them off the table. And let's get back to the basics. Let's reduce this back down to the core, to the essence, to the, what it really means to follow after God. And here's what Jesus says to him. He says, if you want to know what Genesis Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. If you want to know what the law is all about, it's about this. Love God and love people. If you want to know what all the major and minor prophets found in the Scripture are about, it's about love God and love people. Let's try that out. What's it all about? It's about love God and love people. Try it again. Love God and love people. That's what's going on here is Jesus is saying, you have gotten so far away, you're so far removed from what we originally intended that you can't even see it. So let me remove all of the clutter, remove all of the stuff that's in your way and get you back to the basics. And so Jesus basically lays it down and says, this is how it is. You should love God with all that you are and you should love your neighbor as yourself. You see, this guy, he was an expert in the law. He was a re an expert in religion. And in this moment, he missed 
Jesus. He missed the one that all of the law and all of the prophets were trying to point him to. Jesus, the Word made flesh, is standing right in front of him, looking him in the eye, and he can't even see him. He's so blinded by his pride and by his religion and by his rules and his traditions and all of these things that he can't see the one standing right in front of him. You see, this guy's head was full. It was full of knowledge, but his heart was cold. And I think if we're not careful, we can easily immediately read that and jump to this conclusion where we go, man, how could someone miss it? How could someone do that? How could he have missed Jesus standing right in front of him, talking to him face to face? How could he have missed the one who spoke everything into being that was stand- when he was standing right in front of him? And if we're not careful, we'll, we'll start to judge this guy too quickly. We'll start to look at him and go, man, I can't believe someone would do something like that. But my fear is this, new beginnings, is that we're guilty of the same thing at times. You see, we have all this historical evidence and all this proof that Jesus was who He said He was. And sometimes we still miss it. A lot of people miss it. We, we come to church week in and week out. We go to Bible studies. We fill our minds with all these, this knowledge on the things of God. We fill our minds, but our hearts are cold. And we can easily start to look a lot like the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Our hearts can be cold towards God and towards the people of God. We do just like the Pharisees and the Sadducees do. We argue and we debate over a bunch of meaningless things. And as we argue and debate over those things, we're distracted by the main thing. So my desire this morning is that we would focus on that irreducible minimum, that bottom shelf, like what does it mean to be a disciple of Jesus If you're a disciple in this place and you're taking notes, I want you to write this down. As a disciple, we must love God completely. As a disciple, we must love God completely. That means with all of our heart. I know you've heard people say that before, or you've probably said it to your wife or your your children or a significant other, where you say something like, man, I, I love you with all of my heart. And that doesn't just mean you love them with this organ that's in here pumping blood. It, it, the original word in the Hebrew is this word that meant this is from the center of your emotions, your desires, your feelings. It was the core. It was the, the, it was the seat, what they would call it. It was the seat of their emotions, of their desires, and their feelings. And so when you love someone with all of your heart, You are loving them with all of your emotions, all of your desires, and all of your feelings. And then Jesus says, hey, you're not only to love God that way, but you're also to love Him with all of your soul. Here's what Charles Spurgeon says about loving God with all of your heart and soul. He says, with all of your heart means intensely. With all of your soul means sincerely and most lovingly. 
You see, when I love God with all of my soul, there's this inward conformity that starts to happen. I will start to love the things that He loves, and I will start to hate the things that He hates. My life, my, my, everything about me will start to be changed and transformed from the inside out. I will start to align my life, my heart, my soul, everything that I'm doing with His ways. I will love the things that He loves. I'll hate the things that He hates. I will do everything I can to have my heart and my soul conformed and transformed by him and that I would follow after him. So he says, that's how you're supposed to love him. You're supposed to love him with all of your heart and all of your soul. And then the last thing is this, you're to love him with all of your mind. Can I just be honest with you today? On most days, I'm my own worst enemy. Any of you like that? You kind of get in your own way or you trip yourself up. And here's what I mean when it comes to my mind is there's a lot of things that I can overthink. And I sit there and overthink them and overprocess them and think too much about them. And then there's a lot of things that I'm not thinking of correctly. And so you see, my mind is this constant battlefield where it's being bombarded with the things of this world, with the news and social media and what the world says I'm supposed to value and what the world says I'm supposed to do and what the world says I'm supposed to think. And that's why Paul in Romans 12 says, let us be transformed by the renewing of our mind, right? He says, you've got to transform your mind. You've got to renew it daily. And the way that we do that is we've got to spend time in this word daily so that our minds will start to be changed and transformed and we will start to think of the, of the world and the ways of God uh, by the ways of God and not our own ways and not the world's ways. In other words, you, you know on your iPhones and your other smart devices, every now and then in the, the settings, it will say new operating system like available. It's time to download and update this. That's what we have to do with our minds. We have to daily reprogram our minds, update it with God's operating system, if you will, not the world's operating system. So we've got to change our minds, transform our minds. And that's what it means is that when we do that and we spend time in His Word, we'll start to love Him and think about Him through His view and through his perspective we'll start to see the world through his lens and from his perspective from as we transform our mind we've got to use his operating system not our own and not the world's so we've got to love God with all of our heart with all of our soul and with all of our mind and just when this expert teacher thinks oh of, of course like I knew that like how many of you have ever been in a class and someone asks a question and then when the teacher answers it you're like Oh, yeah, I knew that. I, I just didn't ask. Or, or sometimes, even if you don't know the answer, you play it off and act like you did. Like, oh, yeah, sure. I, yeah, I knew all that. I knew that. Well, this expert in the law, I'm sure he, as he sat there, as soon as Jesus answered him with the great command of the Shema to love God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength, in that moment, he's probably thinking, I knew that. And then Jesus continues talking. Verse 39, the guy, Jesus says this, and the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Wait a minute, time out. I'm sure in this moment the expert of the law said, I didn't ask you what commands, plural. I asked you what command, singular. So why are you giving me a second thing? What Jesus does in this moment is he takes a second command and he marries it to the first one. He takes Leviticus 19 where it talked to them in the Levitical law about what it meant to care for the poor, how you were supposed to meet their needs and provide for them and feed them and make sure that their needs were taken care of, that this was a command that they were to follow. 
And so Jesus, in this moment, he takes this idea, this law that they knew very well about taking, looking out for the poor, making sure they have food, making sure they have drink, and he marries it with this idea and this law of loving God. And he says, you can't have one without the other. They both go together. They work together. The second is just like the first. In fact, when you're loving your neighbor and loving those around you, you're loving God with all of your heart and with all of your soul. In this moment, check this out. This is what Jesus does. It'll be on the screen. Jesus boldly corrected them, their misinterpretations of Scripture and their misunderstandings of God that contributed to their mistreating of people. That is exactly what they had done with their religious system over all of these years. They had taken their misinterpretations of Scripture, their misunderstandings of God, and they used those things to oppress the people and lord it over them, and they mistreated people. And in this moment, Jesus boldly corrects their misinterpretation of those things because they were mistreating people. You see, at the epicenter of our faith, it isn't just our relationship with God, but also our relationship with our neighbor. In verse 40, Jesus says, on these two commandments, how many? Two. On these two commandments, how many? Two. Depend all of the law and all of the prophets. In other words, he's letting this guy know, hey, all of the scriptures that make you, that you take such great pride in, that you are an expert in, all of those things, all of your knowledge and all of your wisdom, it comes down to this. These two commands to love God and love people. He's letting him know in this moment, listen, these two commands, everything hinges on them. Everything hangs from them. He's wanting him to know everything that you've studied, everything that you've known, everything that you've learned over all these years, you can just boil it down to this. If you'll just do these two things, that's keeping it simple. Remove 613. Remove the 10. Here's what I want you to know. If you will just do these two things, everything else will fall into place. You see, Jesus is looking at him saying, listen, you've missed the mark. You're so far off course, you can't even see it. And I'm trying to bring you back into focus. I'm trying to help you see the first four commands of the Ten Commandments were about you and God, your relationship with Him. And the next six were about you and your fellow man, your love for one another. And he says, so let's just take all of those ten and everything else in all of the law and all of the prophets and let's boil it down to these two. If you'll just do these two, everything else will take care of itself. So how do you love God? You love God by loving your neighbor. You see, love is not this warm, fuzzy feeling that we have at Valentine's Day or on anniversaries where we're, we're writing sentimental cards and we're getting chocolates and all these things. Those are fun and great things. But love is not just a feeling. I want you to know this morning that love is an action word. Love takes action. Love does something about the situation. Love serves people around you. You see, when you love somebody, you do something. 
you do something about it. When I say that I love my wife or that I love my boys, if I say that I love them, but I'm verbally and physically abusive and I oppress them, do I really love them? No. My actions speak a whole lot louder than my words. In fact, my talk is what? Cheap. And that's what Jesus is saying. He said, you know all these things. You sure do talk a lot, but I don't see any love in action from you. In fact, I see the opposite. I see you using it to mistreat people. You're using it to oppress them. And I want you to know you've got to get back to the heart of the matter. You've got to understand that love serves, that love sees a need and it meets it. That's the way that we love the people around us. We, we love them and we serve them and we see their needs and we meet their needs. We put their needs before our own. When you love someone, you don't just tell them you love them, but you show them that you love them. So what does this look like lived out? Jesus gives us this ironclad illustration in Matthew 25. And, and uh, you can just flip the page over and you'll find yourself there in Matthew 25. In Matthew, let me, let me remind you of what's going on here. So if you, to, if you were to continue reading out of Matthew 22 in this conversation that Jesus has with this religious expert, as soon as you get into Matthew 23, you would see Jesus just dropping the hammer on these guys, on these religious Pharisees and Sadducees. You might have heard a little bit of it last week where he says, Woe to you! You remember that if you were here? He says, woe to you. And he's speaking to all these towns where he had done his greatest works. And he's talking to these religious Pharisees and these Sadducees. And he's saying, listen, if Sodom and Gomorrah, if the things that had been done there had been done in that place, if the things that had been done here had been done in that place, if they had seen me and what I've done, they would have repented and turned from their ways and they would have come to know who I am. And they would still be here to this day if they had done those things. And so he just continues to drop the hammer on these guys. Saying, you're, you're, you're a, he says, woe to you. He, he kind of illustrates that fact. He goes, you're a bunch of whitewashed tombs. You look good on the outside, but you're dead and rotten and decaying on the inside. You've neglected this, this main thing. And he continues to just hammer away at these guys and say, woe to you, woe to you, woe to you. Like it's going to be awful for you on that great day of judgment if you don't wake up, if you don't pay attention, if you don't turn from your ways and understand what it's really about. And we read through these scriptures. Here's what I'm guilty of. We read through the gospels and we read through these scriptures and we we see Jesus. And in these moments we think, Man, Jesus didn't love or care about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. Like, it's easy to read through that and go, he didn't like them. He didn't love them. He loved sinners and he loved everyone else, but he 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 didn't really love and care about the Pharisees and the Sadducees. That's easy to jump to that conclusion from the surface level. But here's what I want you to know, because God kind of broke my heart on this this week, is that when you read through this, over and over and over and over again, you see him coming down on the religious people of that day and age, these rulers, these Pharisees, these Sadducees, and he's harsh with them. But he's harsh with them because he's looking at them going, you should know better, right? 
Have you ever had a, a child or, or maybe someone else, that you, a brother or sister, and like they know better, but they continue to go in this direction. They continue to do things that are hurtful or harmful. And you're looking at them and you're going, I just wish you would understand. Like, I wish you would get it through your thick skull. I wish you would turn from your ways and come back over here because this way is leading to destruction. And if you keep going down that path, it's not going to end well. It's you speaking the truth in tough love, right? You've got to be willing to speak the truth and you've got to be willing to speak it loving. And I believe that because Jesus was talking to these guys this way, it shows that he actually loved them and cared about them. He's looking at them going, you're the experts. You're the one that are teaching everyone else of these ways, these things of God. And yet you're missing the mark. You should have been able to read and know and understand this. You should have seen me and understood who I was. All of this was talking about me. All of this was pointing to me. And now I'm here and you've missed it. And so he continues to just come down on them, but he comes down on them from a place of truth and honesty and honestly love. He's, he's speaking to them from a heart that loves them and wants them to wake up, to, to, to turn from their ways, to repent before it's too late. And in this moment, you get into Matthew 25, and he's talking about this final day of judgment. And it's almost like he's giving, them, he's giving them one more shot, one more chance, and he's crying out to them saying, if you'll just pay attention before it's too late. You're not past the point of no return, but it's coming if you don't turn from your ways. And so here's where he, he jumps into this. I'm going to start a little bit before the screen. In verse 31, he says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne and before him he will gather, be gathered all the nations and will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me a drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you thirsty and give you a drink? When did we see you a stranger and welcome you? When did we see you naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on the left, depart from me, you cursed into the eternal fire for the devil, prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, you gave me no food. I was thirsty, you didn't give me a drink. I was naked, you didn't clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you didn't come to visit me. I gave you the opportunity time after time after time to see the people in front of you and you walked past them. You tragically neglected him. I gave you more than enough opportunity to love me with all that you were by loving the people I placed in your path. And instead of seeing the people in your path as an invitation to join me and to take care of them, you saw them as an interruption and not an invitation. I placed these people all of your life in front of you, in front of your path, and you didn't do anything for them. You tragically neglected them. You walked past them, and you kept on going about your way. You were too busy. You were too distracted. And so you neglected the main thing. You missed the mark. And so since you couldn't love me while you were alive on earth and you couldn't love the people I placed in your path, you're not going to love me in heaven forever. You're going to be separated from me and it breaks my heart, but you need to leave. 
He gave them every shot. He gave them every chance. He gave them every opportunity to love Him with all that they were and to love the people that He placed in their path. And they ignored it. And they walked past it. And they tragically neglected of what the great command was to love God and love people. I'm excited to be a part of a church like New Beginnings because I know that that's not the case at this place. That's what excited me and my family, my wife and my boys about this place so much was your heartbeat for the community, for the region, for the country, for the world, that you are a church that is on the move. You're a church that reads the Word of God and you don't just read it and fill your heads with knowledge and your hearts remain cold, but you fill your heads and then it moves to your heart and it transforms you and it compels you and it makes you want to go and love those out there. And that's what excites me so much to be a part of this church is that we get to do things like be the church on October 6th where we're not going to come to church and sit in a comfortable chair, but we're going to go out and we're going to feed the hungry. We're going to clothe those who have no clothing. We're going to help those that are sick. We're going to do everything in our power to love God and love people. And I don't know about you, but you should be excited about that. Like we're not going to gather here. We're going to go and do what the Word says to do. The word of James, in James, it says, don't be hearers of the word, but be doers of the word. When you hear it, don't just hear it and put it away for some other day. Hear it and take action. Hear it and go and do. And so here's what I want to challenge you with this week, is I want to challenge you to constantly be praying this prayer. God, help me to see the people in my path. God, help me to see them. This is an opportunity as an invitation and not an interruption. God, help me to love you with all that I am by loving the people that are right here in front of me. And as I love the people in front of me, that is me loving you with all that I am. I will not tragically neglect the people in my path anymore. I'm going to do whatever it takes to meet their needs. I'm going to put their needs before my own. I'm going to do everything I can to live out the gospel so that others can see who you are and what you've done. Because when the world sees you living like that, they're going to go, that's not normal. That's not normal for a church to not meet on a Sunday and go serve the community. And when they see you serving, they're going to go, I don't know what that is, but I want some of that. I want to be a part of that. And that's the love of God. It is the love of God that is uh, driving you, compelling you to love the people that He places in your path. So if you want to know what it means to answer this call and to be a disciple and to obey the great command and to not get distracted by all the stuff, it's these two things. Love God and love people. Love God and love people. Can y'all say that? Love God and love people. i got to love Him with all that I am and love His people the same way. Now here's a sobering reality. Is it apart from the Spirit of God in me? This is impossible. I can't love God without Him. He loved me first. Me loving God is my response to the fact that he loved me when I was far from him. He loved me when I was his enemy. He rescued me from my sins. He rescued me from a bad situation. He rescued me out of that and he loved me when I was unlovable. He loved me when I was against him. 
So apart from the Spirit of God invading your heart, invading your soul, invading your mind, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. When you ask Him to come into your life, to forgive you of your sins, to be your Lord and Savior, He will place His Spirit in you, and His Spirit in you will start to stir up your affections for Him, where you will start to desire Him above the worldly things. You will start to want to please the Father because He loves you with such an unfailing love. And you'll go, how can I not love you, Lord, with all that I am, considering how you've loved me? In fact, 1 John says this, it says, In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us. And He sent His one and only Son to be the propitiation for our sins. In other words, to be the payment for our sins. He sent Jesus, beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. It says, the world will know that you are my disciples by your love for one another. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the way that you love us. Thank you for sending your one and only son to make a way when there was no way to rescue us from the depths of our sin. God, thank you for Jesus who when we were at our lowest low, when we were unlovable, He saw us and He came to rescue us and He loved us and He loved us so much that He was willing to go to the cross and die for each and every one of us to pay the price for our sins. So God, I'm praying if there's anyone in this place that doesn't know You, that they've been playing church, that they've wore a title that means absolutely nothing, if they've just checked the box of religion and Christianity, but there's really nothing to it, God, I pray today would be the day that your spirit invades every area of their lives, that they would surrender to you and that they would realize that you loved them first, that you have gone the distance, you made the first move, now it's up to them. God, help us to not be distracted by all the meaningless stuff. Help us to love you with all that we are by loving your people that you place in our path. And when we love those people and we meet their needs, we are loving you with all that we are. God, we love you and we thank you for first loving us. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. If you need prayer, if that's you today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus or you just need one of us to stand in the gap with you and pray for you, we are here. You guys stand and let's come. I hope that you have enjoyed this message. If you have any questions about anything that you have heard today or would like to know more about what it means to be a follower of Jesus, feel free to call our church offices at 903-759-5552 or send us an email at info at nbbctx.org. As for staying up to date with what's going on at New Beginnings, follow us on our social media accounts. Have a great rest of your day.